The reading was um, Reuben and Glenda McCormick did that. And they're being welcomed today, I guess, but not as full members. They're from Lucan Presbyterian. And uh, Reuben's up studying for the ministry. And Glenda has been doing some study, but might not be doing it for a whole lot longer. But we are delighted to have them amongst us. And though they're not coming to full membership, they and um, Mary and Eric White we uh, bring them into our family as uh, those who we want to look after at this time of their journey. And then that wonderful song was written by David Thompson and sung wonderfully by Caroline. And it brings us into this incredible, incredible story of Mary. I was with the, the chaplains this week. We were, um, we were, did I say we? It's because Ken's back, I'm all confused. Um, they were uh, meeting with um, the Christian Union at Queen's, and I think it was the first time that the Christian Union at Queen's had ever welcomed a, a Catholic chaplain, though they made sure the event was over, and the last prayer was prayed, um, and then a number of people stayed afterwards to meet the four chaplains, and I agreed foolishly on my day off to chair that event. And it was interesting because, needless to say, Gary's presence there, Father Gary Toman, um, was what caused most questioning. And one of those questions, or a few of those questions, were about Mary. And um, it was fascinating to hear um, the other three, Karen, my successor, um, John Alderdice, the Methodist chaplain, and Barry Ford, the Anglican chaplain, talking about how they feel we need to um, have more time for Mary. I have stood at Windsor Park and heard the mother of my Lord being called all kinds of things um, from a so-called uh, Protestant uh, crowd. We have kind of left her a little to the side in reaction to perhaps some of the um, overemphasis in Mary that we feel the Catholic Church um, um, have made. And Gary was very, very strong about saying, tell your congregations that we do not worship Mary, even though there's no question that there were a few theological issues over whether she was sinless or not. But the interesting thing was listening to the Protestant one saying we need to give her a place again. And uh, Karen was saying that when she found that she was pregnant, that she went back to Mary. And she was in awe of this idea that she could have a baby. And yet how amazing it must have been for Mary, knowing this wasn't just a baby. How would that have been? As well as losing maybe Mary from our story, I believe we've also lost scandal from our story. I have a friend called Mike Riddell. He's a New Zealander. We like New Zealanders in Fitzroy. We've had one or two. Mike was a Baptist pastor, then a Baptist theological lecturer, and then he wrote a book. The movie has just been made with the same crew that made Lord of the Rings, I think and um, has just been premiered, I don't think it will be main cinemas, but it's been premiered just recently in London. The book is called Insatiable Moon. 
And when he gave the book to his, I think I'm right in saying this, when he gave his book to his principal at his theological college, the principal said, this is fantastic. But you will have to resign. Isn't that Christendom? The book's about Arthur, who lives with a crew of mentally challenged And Arthur thinks he's Jesus in flesh. And it gets to the point where even the local pastor believes he might just be Jesus in the flesh. Now, I'm reading this. Defender of my mate Mike, I quoted him last week, so I've just told him yesterday that I'm quoting him again today. Although he made some facetious comment on Facebook about going out in the middle of the sun, uh, the summer, to the pool. And uh, are all my British friends doing that, he said. So I suggested for a moment I might drop him from the sermon because of his, um, uh, his facetiousness. But anyway, he just sent me a wee note off Facebook and said, Steve, quote me and you're going to get in some trouble. So here I'm going to get into some trouble. I read this book, Wanting to Defend Mike, and thought, where can I bury this book? When I finished it, I was so appalled so staggered at the scandal of it that I thought my friends cannot read this book because it'll say to them that Mike is exactly the kind of heretic that they've always said he was. Where could I get rid of it off any shelves? And it's a New Zealand book, so it's not on a lot of shelves in Ireland or the UK. But I was aghast at the ending. It was scandalous. And after... A few days, I suddenly realized it got me. That's the very reaction that we all should have to this story of Mary's. I'd lost it. I had lost the impact of this scandalous suggestion that God would make a teenage girl pregnant out of marriage. It is appalling to think of it. I'd lost it. I'd Christmas carded it up. I'd said, well, from where we are, sure, it was the plan of God. And it would have been all right for Mary. It was not all right for Mary. It was not all right for Joseph. This story is not all right for Mrs. Bouquet, middle-class Presbyterianism. If we think for one minute that that character in that comedy, who sometimes I see all around me, nothing fits right. (laughs) You think at this moment, how many of the family are listening? Um... But anyway, uh, that kind of, we've got to, the golf club mentality. Don't wear sports gear in the clubhouse. What is it, that game? Oh, not a game, can't call it a game because you can't. That kind of, you know, everything's all right. We're very proper. We have a pride in how we do things and the neighborhood will look and see how lovely and nice we are. It has nothing to do 
with this story? Nothing. It's not within a beggar's guile. We are those who are worshipping this morning in a scandal. And that has implications. Let's look at this Mary. And let's look at this Mary in the lines of what we've already sung this morning. O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's getting Christmassy. I like a few carols. It was just, there's a sense of it around the service this morning. And yet if we stop there again and we thought for a minute what we're praying, it would not give us a warm Christmassy feeling. We would be petrified. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Well, we've been remembering AIDS this week perhaps in the townships around Cape Town if Jesus came to bring his justice where the first shall be last and the last shall be first maybe there there would be some sense of oh come oh come Emmanuel yes or maybe if you're in Afghanistan as a soldier or as someone who's living in that particularly war-torn country the idea that we would find a kingdom where we would no longer have swords and uh, and any kind of arms yes come lord jesus but on the shopping streets of south belfast this prayer can only be one of great disturbance as it was for Mary. If she did pray that and were told she was a woman of prayer, boy, did she get her answer. And if we think for a minute that when we come to the Lord and we say, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, that everything's going to be lovely in our lives from there on, for her, the most unimaginable stigma fell upon her as the girl in the village most likely to became the, you can add a string of names. And actually, because we're so nice and golf clubbed up South Belfast, I'm hesitant about using the names. Even that has got to be reconsidered if we're going to follow this story. No, for Mary, her life changed forever. Was going along quite well. Joseph seems to have been good choice of whoever choose. She's coming through her teenage years. She's going to get married. She's going to settle down this little place. It wasn't luxury or decadent, but it was going to be all right. She loved her Lord, and her Lord seemed to be blessing her, and things were going to be nice and quiet. A good girl you could expect her to keep out of trouble and then you pray that prayer, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and trouble is what descends. It wasn't just the birth. The rest of Mary's life was going to be one of concern, as David put in the song. One of anxiety. 
one of wondering what the next surprise is going to be with this child that's now growing up who's doing crazy things and won't now listen to his mother and who's going to be crucified? No. No, no. O come, O come, Emmanuel. When that prayer is answered, it doesn't bring comfort. Ask Mary. It was nothing less than death itself for Mary. The pleasant, quiet life she had planned was murdered at that moment that birth was suggested. It was her moment of taking up her cross daily from there on and following her God. I said last week, Everything that would be in the rest of the Gospels is in this nativity scene. And right there is that that Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Mary got it right here. There was an abandonment of pride. Nobody was ever going to look at her as the respectable girl anymore. This book is not about respectable. And most of all, there's that loss of control. Now, Northern Ireland, good living. I reckon for most of us, most of us, it's pretty easy. At 17, Steve gave up smoking. No bother. I'd had a few, but it was only a few. No trouble for me to give up smoking. Steve, they said, rightly or wrongly, I leave it to your debate, give up drinking. Palomino, we're talking. It was really easy because I'd never been drunk. Swearing took a day or two. And it actually was the time on the golf course when my friends realized, uh-oh, something's going down here because that was a lousy shot and he just walked on. But it was pretty easy. The good living stuff is actually pretty easy. But giving up control? Not being Lord of your life anymore, but giving it to God? That is a lifetime in the learning. And that's what Mary did. She gave up control of her life into the hands of a God that was doing incredible things, but not the nice way we all hoped for in Mary's case. And she was ready for surprise and shock for the rest of her life. And then we go into this sermon, and we've had it read by Glenda, this Mary's song. We've had it sung by Caroline in a, a different kind of version, and we've even had it read by David in our Fitzroy family focus, this idea that this was not just a personal come, O come, Emmanuel, but this, the scope of this salvation is worldwide and has political and social ramifications. The great heresy John Stott said of the 20th century was evangelicals losing the political, social agenda of the gospel. 
before we even get Jesus born, it's clear to us in the Magnificat that this is about turning the world upside down. And that, of course, is where it's going to get messy. Because the world doesn't really, well, the up end of the world doesn't want to be made down. But what we're called to is a subversive revolution where we go about in our mission to make sure that the first out there become last and the last out there become first because we've modeled that in here. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Be careful what you pray for. Let's pray. Our God, help us over this Advent season to soak ourselves in this story. Not respectable. Scandalous. Not comfortable. Life-changing. Help us to realize the depth of those words that we've sung earlier. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And ready us, Lord, the way you readied Mary to just say, yes, Lord. I'm frightened, but your grace will be enough for me. I'm concerned, but I trust in you. And I'm willing to be a man or a woman of no reputation. If it means your kingdom coming, your salvation and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.